Hello everyone, welcome to another Rings of Power half hour episode. Uh, today I'm going to be covering episode 4 of the Rings of Power, season 1 episode 4, The Great Wave. Uh, and last time I didn't make it to half an hour, I think I got like 18 minutes, so I will try to get to half an hour, but this might just be a Rings of Power attempted half hour. But, um, so episode 4, uh, like we usually do, I'm just going to do a quick overview of it, because if you're listening to this, you most likely watched it. And if you haven't watched it, then you should probably go watch it, because this isn't going to be like an in-depth summary of it. This is going to be talking about uh, what we saw in the episode. Well, I guess that's kind of like a summary, but no. Uh, what uh, what we are talking about is the lore, how it diverts from the lore, uh, what we thought about the episode, and uh, just the show in general. So it's not going to be a summary, but I'll do a quick, short summary. So a summary. But yeah. Okay, so we start out, um, Tarmiriel is, uh, she's doing a ceremony for the babies, the young Numenorean babies. Um, and then we see some, the leaves falling off the tree and she wakes up and it's a dream. And the three storylines we get in this one are, uh, Galadriel and Numenor, uh, Arondir in Bronwyn's story and uh, Elrond in Durin the third or fourth during the fourth uh, we get those three stories we don't see the Harfoots in this which I was excited about because I I don't know they're uh, I mean it's not a bad storyline but I didn't really miss uh, not having Harfoots in this episode um, my favorite two storylines so far if you've listened to my rings power half hour episode two are Rondir and Bronwyn's story and uh Elrond and Durin's story so it was fun to see both of those but um in a Rondir or no in Gladriel story in the new in Numenor she uh pretty much teams up with Tarmiriel by the end of the episode but during the episode or throughout the episode she uh gets on uh, Tarmiel Tarmiriel's nerves by asking to see her father, who's the real king. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but so she, that angers Tarmiriel, and she gets thrown into jail. Or Galadriel gets thrown into jail, and then um, Halbrand gives Tarmir, or gives Galadriel some advice uh, to figure out, or because Galadriel wasn't thinking about how she got in, and she was just angry and pacing. Um, but then also we see when Galadriel breaks out of jail, and... Our Farazone is uh, pull, goes to pull out a sword. Helbaran says, uh, "You shouldn't say something. This is not verbatim. He says something like, "You shouldn't do that." And Farazone says, "Why?" And he says something about how um, you won't need to chase her if you know where she's going. And that's uh, those are two things that Rondir, or sorry, Halbaran, um, like gives little hints and subtle nudges to get what he wants, which is. Um, very very similar to what Sauron did uh, when he was disguised as an elf in Numenor. So I do feel like we might uh, be seeing early Sauron in Halbrand. But there's also the theory that he's the first Witch King. Um, but I don't know. I guess we'll see. Because uh, we don't see um, what I thought was going to be Sauron with Adar. But I'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, so there's a revolt going on uh the men are upset about galadriel being there and they uh they start chanting elf lover um 
and then by the end of the episode when Tarmiriel is wanting uh is going to go with Galadriel to Middle Earth and she wants volunteers, everybody's volunteering. And that's one thing that doesn't really make sense to me is why uh at the start of the episode everybody, pretty much everybody, is against the elves in Galadriel. And then by the end of the episode they're all willing to uh uh they're all willing to volunteer. It's kind of like a Hunger Games type thing, but they're all just everybody like one person volunteers and then they all start volunteering and it just doesn't really make any sense why they would change your mind like that um in such short a time because there wasn't really a big reason or a big thing that Galadriel did um to deserve or to get them all to change their minds and then the other thing uh with Tarmiriel and her dad um I'm not sure if Tar Palantir that's her father's name is supposed to be alive in in the actual lore um there is a way he could still be alive he's close to dying um and uh the reason i don't think he should be alive is because if our pharaoh and tarmiriel are married then tar palantir shouldn't be alive because our pharaoh didn't marry tarmiriel until after tal Pal- tar palantir died so that he could take over the kingdom um and i it's hard to tell if uh, Farazone and Muriel are married in what rank they have. Cause I, I, I don't understand, or I can't tell if they are king or queen yet, or if she, or if it hasn't come to be yet that her father dies and, uh, Tar, or Farazone marries her, but I feel like they're married. I can't tell, but if they are married, then her dad should be dead, but we could be seeing the beginnings of that. Um, and yeah, so that's all I have for the Galadriel and Numenor part. Um, we can talk about the Elrond and Durin part, which is uh, one of my favorites, as I said earlier. Um, we get to see uh, Mithril in this episode, which was exciting. Because uh, I don't think we ever see it in uh, the Peter Jackson films. Um, I mean, we see it in the armor, but I don't think we see the raw Mithril. I could be wrong about that. Um, but it was cool to see it, um, and them seeing how they found it. Um, I don't know in the lore, the origin story of how they found it, uh, explicitly, but, uh, this, it's, I mean, it seems reasonable, but, um, so when, uh, Elrond gets in, he uses that rhyme, the rich crone kisses stone, piles two gems in gold. He gets into the, uh, cave, and when him and Durin are talking, there's a cave-in, um, and there's four dwarves down there, and, um, it was cool to see, uh, uh, Disa doing her, like, uh, singing, I don't know what, or, like, uh, uh, it's not like a sacrifice, like a, I don't know, she's, like, singing to the rocks to give the dwarves back, which was cool, um, and, uh, when, uh, the cave-in happens, um, I know, or I didn't notice this when I first watched it, but I n- thought about it, um, but in the Nerd of the Rings video where he goes over this episode, he says he can slightly hear a roar, um, and I was thinking when it, f- the first cave-in, this is what it was, um, when the cave-in first happened, I th- was thinking this is what it was, uh, it could be Durin's Bane, which, uh, if you don't know what Durin's Bane is, uh, I guess it's kind of a spoiler, but I don't know if it's a spoiler because I don't know if they'll show it because I don't think they are going to, or 
it wouldn't make sense if they showed it right now or if it happened right now but um there's gonna be spoilers so you, you can hit that skip button quick but Durin's Bane is a Balrog. So what exactly is Durin's Bane? Um, Durin's Bane refers to a particular Balrog of Morgoth uh, that fled during or following the War of the Wrath to sleep beneath the depths of the Dwarven Kingdom of Khazad-dûm. So uh, technically, there's a Balrog down there that they could be awakening if they dig too deep, which is what happens. But um, and so if we see Durin's Bane. Uh, then it it I think it comes in later, but it wouldn't make sense now, but it's possible with the um compressed timeline that we could see uh Durin's Bane. The all the four dwarves get out, um and uh there is no talk of Durin's Bane. So we might not see it, but we might see it. Um I don't know, I'm interested to see how they would portray uh a Balrog. Um yeah, so I don't know when Durin's Bane is going to show up or if uh, if he is going to show up because uh, um, what's his name Durin the Third uh, closed off the mine so they can't mine any deeper and I think that's the reason why Durin the Third is so cautious about um, mining too deep or mining at all in that case um, because he knows there's something down there and how dangerous it is but I don't know if he knows it is Durin's Bane. Um, but uh during the third or during the fourth is suspicious about what Elrond wants um and Elrond is just trying to show him that he's just being a good friend and he doesn't want or he doesn't have like some facetious need or anything um it's really cool to see them interact with each other and um when during the fourth was upset about uh his dad closing down the mine it was cool to see uh, Elrond talk about his father, Erendil. Erendil? Sorry. Erendil. It's cool to see him talk about his father because that's a really cool story. Um, and his dad is a really important figure in the Lord of the Rings. Or the Middle-Earth lore. Um, so it was cool to hear that because that's um, some stuff they didn't change. Uh, and uh, all that he said about his dad was true based off of the lore. I mean, that's a really interesting story, uh, uh, his, about Erendil, um, and, uh, I think we have an episode or something about it. Okay, one of the episodes we talk about Erendil, um, and, um, it's a really cool story, uh, if you want to learn more about it, you can read about it in The Silmarillion, or listen to our episode, I'll link that down below when I find out which one it exactly is, um. But yeah, it was really cool to see him talk to uh, Durin about that and calm him down. And then they had that really that uh, funny back and forth about how they met and who killed or who saved who and who killed the trolls and how many there were and whatever. Um, but yeah, that was really cool to see, and I'm really enjoying that storyline. Um, uh, so the other storyline or the third one in this episode was Arondir and Bronwyn's storyline, um, and so we see. We get to see Adar, um, uh, who is just like a corrupt elf. I don't think it's Sauron, um, because uh, Sauron wasn't like this dark elf that ruled all the orcs when he was in the Second Age. He lived in Numenor and uh, uh, worked for the king and corrupted uh, our Pharaoh's own. 
but um so it wouldn't make sense if that was Sauron but it could be I don't know I don't think it is one theory is that it is Maglor um and Maglor is the second son of Feanor um and if you are confused about who either of those people are um we have episodes about that um we have uh um, an episode about the uh, story of Baron and Luthien, which Maglor is in, which is a really good story, too. You should read that in the Silmarillion. I think that's Tolkien's strongest story, the story of Baron and Luthien. Um, but Maglor is a character in that story um, who we don't know about his death, if he died or how he died. But long story short, he um, got a hold of one of the Silmarils and... Um, he stole it, and then it uh, burned his hand because it's nothing evil can touch the Silmarils without it burning. So it was burning his hand, so he cast it into the sea, and then we don't know what happened to him afterwards. So this could be Maglor, um, and that would make sense because he has like a glove on his left hand. Um, we see that when he kills that orc, when he's like consoling it and then stabs it. Um, but it would be an int- it would be interesting if it was, but it would. Um, it would take a lot of explaining by the showrunners about who Maglor is because he's not a very well-known character. They could just say he's Maglor and leave it at that and not try to go in and explain, go into depth and explain who Maglor is because you could still, are you, I mean, you are missing stuff by not knowing who Maglor is if it's Maglor, but it's not like it's going to ruin the show for you. It'll just be another character that you could do, you could dig deep in on. Uh, which you should if it is Maglor and you don't know Maglor's story. But um, it would be interesting if that was Maglor. Um, but one of the lines he says I like is uh, um, he's talking about the rumors or lies about him that um, even the stones believe are true. Uh, he says to untangle all would require, or to untangle it all would all but require the creation of a new world. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's foreshadowing. Um, and I hope it is. And uh, I just thought it was a good line. You know, I don't know. I'm not a, I am not a writer like TV or movie or scriptwriter, I guess. <laughs> scriptwriter. Um, so I've, I've, I have a hard time justifying talking bad about the writing on this show. Um, but there are some things in this show that are, uh, not the greatest writing. Like when they chant "Elf Lover," it's just a clunky line. Um, and there's just other lines in the show that are, I don't know, not the greatest. But I thought that was a really good line. And um, also with the uh, what was it? The rich crone kiss the stone, polish your gems in gold. I thought that was, um, I just thought that was like a fun line. I looked it up while I was watching to see if it is an actual Tolkien line that was taken from like the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit. Um. Because it sounds like it could come from The Hobbit in one of the songs, but I couldn't find it, so I don't think it's... I, I'm, it's an original one. It's not from Tolkien, which was a little surprising to me. I thought it would have been cool if they used um, one of the Dwarvish songs from The Hobbit, because I'm pretty sure they have the rights to it. Um, but I don't know. They didn't use it, which is fine. But like I said, the uh, writing isn't always the greatest, but that was just a good line that I wanted to point out. Um but yeah, so Arondir, um is asked by uh, Adar 
uh, where he was born. Uh, they're talking in Quenya, which is an Elvish language when Adar is uh, speaking to him at first. Um, and he says Beleriand, um, which if you don't know what Beleriand is, it's this uh, land that uh, is to the east, or was to the east of Middle-earth. Uh, in the first episode when they um, panned over to Middle-earth across the sea, um, we don't see Beleriand. They left that out. Um, probably because it w would take too much explaining as to what it is. Um, but then, uh, Arondir mentions it, so, uh, which is a little confusing. Um, but, uh, um, Arondir never gives a specific area where he's from in Beleriand, but, um, uh, Adar asks if it's, or he guesses that it's by the mouth of the river which is the mouth of the river Sirion, which is in the lower east side of Beleriand, and it's like a river that goes uh, north in Sir er, in Beleriand. Um, but then uh, Bronwyn and her son Theo are in the Elvish Tower that Arondir used to be in. Oh, and Arondir gets out, and he's supposed to deliver the message. But I really like um, Theo's story, too, with him and his friend going to... Uh, back to that village to uh, um, try to get some more food and the orcs attack. Um, I think they did a really good job with the orcs in this show. Um, they are, I mean, they're similar to the Peter Jackson ones, even though, I mean, I have a hard time saying or comparing it to the Peter Jackson films because I don't want to get into like a, uh, um, I guess like mindset where Peter Jackson's movies are the, uh, like what it should look like, what Middle Earth should look like, and the characters and everything. Um, he did a really good job, but he did change some things. Um, so even though they look like the Peter Jackson films, um, I just think they did a good job. Um, and they also have those accents. I don't know what accents they accent it is, but they use the same accents in both the films and this show. But um, uh, Theo has that. Uh, sword that um he has to like jab into his forearm to get it to come out um and uh apparently adar is looking for it because the orcs go crazy about it and he hides in a uh a well um which one thing that i thought was kind of uh weird is uh he uh when um the uh i can't remember the name of the orc but the orc drops or takes a drink of water and then drops the bucket down into the um into the well and then it it either hits theo on the head or scares him and he yells or makes a noise and so he goes down under the water and then the orc looks down into the into the well and then sees that there's nothing there so then he turns away and then theo comes up and he makes a loud noise when he comes up and it's it's obviously it would echo up because it's just all like a circle a cylinder of rock the sound would just echo up um how the orc didn't hear that and then go back down um but you know that's neither here nor there or anywhere so yeah that's all i have to say about that but um i do like the theo storyline and he gets the food back um but then there's that guy who he stole the sword from or the hilt of the sword from um who seems to be in cahoots with Sauron um, and uh, he's talking about Sauron coming back and then he mentions 
the uh, comet in the sky that apparently, or that they all saw. We saw them see it. We saw them see it, yeah. Um, it, which is the stranger who might be Gandalf, who I hope is not Gandalf. But um, he says that that's a sign that it's Sauron, um, or that Sauron is coming. Um, so obviously there's uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing in that elven uh, watchtower that all the men are staying in, men as in humans. But um, yeah, so that's all I really have for this episode. Um, there wasn't, I mean, I thought this was a good episode. Um, I'm still not fully set on, or thrilled about Galadriel's storyline. Um, I think maybe once they get to Middle Earth, it'll be uh, cooler. I'm, I'm interested to see how they'll connect the storylines, uh, if they will, how they will. Um, but uh, I don't know. It's Galadriel's storyline is just tough because, uh, you know, I understand the whole... Uh, people being upset about her uh being like this warrior which didn't i'm not that upset about it it's kind of cool but her attitude she's just acting she's not acting very smart um and is acting very arrogant which is kind of weird to see um because even though she is like technically like air quotes a young elf or or a younger version of gladriel she's not a young elf and she has experience so i don't know i'm still not completely i haven't given up on galadriel's storyline i still hope it it gets better once they get to middle earth but um yeah that's pretty much it oh uh one thing that i did notice about this show um that i forgot to mention is there's a lot of random slow-mos uh that um just like take you out of the action It, it feels weird um there'll be random slow mo shots like um, I think there was one when Theo and his friend were running to the, either running to or going to the, uh, town to get the food, and there was, like, a slow-mo shot, and then there was that super long one of Arondir saving Theo, um, and then, like, the one of Galadriel riding the horses, it's weird because it just, it feels like everything's flowing normal, and then it cuts to this random slow-mo that, uh, isn't needed, and it's just throws off the pacing of the show i don't know uh i don't know it just throws me off every time there's a random slow-mo and that gladriel one was kind of weird because she always has that like straight um uh determined face facial expression and then she's riding the horse and it cuts to her smiling and being all happy and then it cuts back to them off the horses and she's back in that straight faced um determined angry i guess look um and it's just weird just throws it off but i don't know i'm still enjoying the show um we're halfway through it uh there's only four more episodes left so i'm excited to see where the show goes and how the first season will end and who sauron is i'm excited to figure that out but yeah so thanks for listening to this rings of power half hour episode i don't think i quite made it to uh, 30 minutes, but that's okay. Cause I made it further than last time and that's improvement. Um, so yeah. So thank you for listening to my rings of power attempt at half hour episode. Um, we'll have a, um, a regular 
Exploring Middle Earth episode coming out soon, and then Grant will come out with his Rings of Power half-hour episode for episode 5, so see you guys later.